You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 217. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, You may have noticed that some episodes are a little bit tougher to do than others. I think this is one of them. Uh, You know, when the war in Ukraine started, uh, you know, I, I, as some of you know, I had been to Ukraine in 2019. I was there to teach at the Lviv Data Science Summer School, and it's been very alarming. And so I, you know, didn't know exactly how I was going to cover it. And I decided after, uh, particularly after talking to Polina, uh, which uh, that episode was episode 215 that came out a week and a half ago, that uh, I was just going to gather stories from people that I met in Ukraine about what they're going through. So, uh, you know, I I put out the call on social media. I asked people to send things for me to read. I asked people to um, to to send in um, send in recordings, and we're just going to play them today. Um, you know. For those of you who come to this show for machine learning and AI, we will be getting back to that soon, starting next week for sure, and you'll hear more about what we're talking about next week at the end of the episode. But uh, after this episode, I think we're going to have a string of um, of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, Bayesian inference-related episodes, which should be, um, should be a nice change of pace from uh, what's been going on over the last few episodes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just want to just want to find some things I read from, from some people I met or interacted with there and, um, and, uh, just, uh, just, just hear what they have to say. Um, so first of all, this is just going to be completely uncensored. Uh, I am not going to bleep out words or anything like that. People might be upset out there, but that's fine. Um, also, you know, a lot of Ukrainians are asking for, uh, military aid, and I understand that. I would probably be asking for the same thing if I were in their position. Uh, but um, I'll let everyone speak in full and make their case. You let me know what you think, localmaxradio at gmail.com, maximum.locals.com. Personally, I am um, very reluctant to um, call for our politicians to do things like a, a no-fly zone just because you know, uh, this thing can get out of control. And then, you know, what's happening in Ukraine can start to happen all over the world. And we really need to avoid that. And um, I don't know, find some way to bring the world back from the brink. Um, And, uh, you know, that said, I have no, uh, I have no say over what what our government does in the US anyway. So um, aside from that, there are many places to give humanitarian aid. I have... um, uh, done so in one place in particular, uh, which I'll talk about in the middle of the show um, for this this orphanage. Uh, but um, I'm actually going to give more. It's uh, like a, I think it's supportukraine.org, supportukrainenow.org, supportukrainenow.org. Okay, so I'll remember to uh, put that in the show notes page, localmaxradio.com slash 217. All right, so for those of you who wrote in, I apologize for not getting to everyone. I got way more submissions than I can handle. And I tried to, um, 
I tried to focus on people that I've interacted with. Also, I'll try my best on names, particularly last names. And so I apologize for not pronouncing your names correctly. Uh, So first of all, let's talk to um, someone who was actually in my class, a student in my class on on Bayesian thinking, Um, uh, Vita Vitalia Olinik. Once again, I apologize for the name. Vita is probably uh, probably a good one. Uh, So um, she's going to talk about uh, her... Uh, how she moved to Kiev and is now back in Lviv and what that was like. So let's bring that up. Vita, you've reached the local maximum. Thank you so much for doing this today and um, for letting us know what's going on, at least what's going on uh, for you. So uh, it's my understanding that you moved to uh, Kiev like very shortly before this all happened. So you, you just got there? Yeah, I was like living there for months and I was already anxious to move there because, you know, the talks about war were very present in media since I think the end of the autumn, like everyone was very cautious. And the funniest thing is I was actually very anxious. It's going to start like any day. So the week before it actually started, I was like um, having a lot of sleepless nights, just scrolling through news and waiting for the invasion to start. Right. And funnily enough, the day, the night it started, I actually decided, well, you can't go on like this forever, girl. You have got to got some sleep. And then yeah. uh, woke up to the fucking siren. So I'm sorry for swearing. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. This is this is going to be an uncensored episode. Uh, yeah. So but so where, so d- did you grow up there? Is that where you grew up? Uh, in Kiev? No, no. I grew up in Lviv, but I was kind oh. of planning on moving to Kiev for a right, long time. Right, right. A lot okay. of my friends live there. So. so what made you decide to move there in February then, given, um, you know, given what was going on? You know, I uh, was planning on doing that for a long time and kind of got the opportunity and I was thinking, okay, this is too stupid. Like, we know about the amount of troops on our border. The whole world is talking about it. He can't be that stupid. Like, he can't actually do that. He's probably just threatening. It's not right. going to be a thing. Like, maybe a few conflicts, like, at the border, but not, like, the full-scale invasion. So I thought, I genuinely thought nothing would happen. Like, there was an anxiety, yeah. but it was like, I'm just stressing myself out. Nothing much. Yeah. So what, what were those few weeks that you were in? I Well, I, I want to say when you were in Kiev, when it was normal, but it, it obviously wasn't normal. But um, essentially, that was just moving in and, and getting to know your new neighborhood and surroundings uh, for those first few weeks and then and then having to leave immediately. Yeah, I kind of already knew my surroundings because I was very frequent guest in Kiev. Like I told right. you, there were a lot of my friends. So I was living with my friends for for a month and uh, it was just very normal. I mean, a lot of ads in the subway about joining the military and protecting your country. The whole, like, I don't know. It just, I remember Kiev for my whole life has been like this very active, very buzzing, very lively city and because the last couple of weeks before the war it just the center was relatively empty like it was just in the air it was heaviness you sensed it that people 
were trying to live their lives, but they were kind of afraid. And this whole thing just ran into the background of every conversation you had with friends. Like, hello, let's meet for a beer. Also, do you think there's going to be a war? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully there, there, you got to have a few meetups uh, before, before that all went down. Um, yeah. That, it, it, yeah uh, it, it almost reminds me of those few weeks before COVID in New York, where obviously there wasn't a war, but, you know, it was like um, all of a sudden, like you'd remember everything you did in February because in March onward, you know, there was uh, like basically the entire world was, was shut down. Um, but uh, yeah, so how did you, um, so, okay, so you woke up to the sirens. Was it in the middle of the night? It was like in the morning I woke up yeah. and for like, a few mornings before that, uh, like where I lived, there was a hospital nearby. So a lot of ambulances were going out and every morning I would wake up and I was like, oh shit, this is air alarm. It started. But this time, ironically, I woke up and I thought, okay, you're just thinking, overthinking it. It's probably just another ambulance, but I'm going to check my messengers really soon. And I'm opening my phone and there are like tons, like dozens of messages like are you alive do you know what's going on have you seen right. the news it started so it's like so, oh my god yeah oh my god it's happening and and it's yeah. like the unthinkable yeah so i woke up and i walked to the window and i seen a bunch of like tanks moving through the streets and uh the first thought i had was my boyfriend was asleep he was not woken up by this and i thought okay I got to wake up this person and tell them that there's a war going on. How do I do it? <laughs> yeah, that's a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we woke up and I was panicking and uh, I was just pacing the room and I was like, okay, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And my boyfriend was just weirdly calm and he was like, okay, let's make some breakfast, get dressed, and then just think about what we're going to do. One problem at a time. <laughs> that's a, so, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so that's essentially what we did. And um, we did not have like any transport to move out of the city. We had train tickets for the next day, but we kind of, you know, we were afraid that the trains were not going to like function soon and the whole city is going to be, um, you know, in shambles. So we were just frantically looking for a way to get out. And my manager from work actually contacted me with a colleague that was uh, fleeing the city and had two spots in a car. So we just kind of packed like right now I am in Lviv and all I have with me is just one hoodie, one T-shirt and like one pair of jeans and maybe a few books. So you got... You got a ride out by uh, by car? Yeah, yeah. It was like very weird because normally yeah. the trip from Kiev to Lviv takes like six hours at most. And I've done time... it. I've done it on the train. That was actually a very nice train. Yeah. So, and this time it was like 16, 17 hours, I think. Right. Because wow. It was traffic. Yeah. Like, uh, like, I remember us pulling to the end of the traffic and the navigator just says, estimated time in in traffic like 89 minutes and we were like oh shit <laughs> wow wow uh yeah and you just you sit in traffic for um 
you know, I could imagine like, you know, someone from here trying to get to, uh, I'm just trying to make the distances about equal DC, but it takes all day, uh, or just, you know, more than a day. It sounds like it took, were you in the car for all 16 hours? Yeah, we were wow. kind of afraid of walking out because there were reports yeah. of Russian troops shooting cars oh uh, on the road. So I don't know if they were confirmed or not, but like when this thing happens, you don't have the resources and the critical capacity to filter out the news. So you just right. hear it somewhere. The Russian troops are shooting the cars and you're like, okay, I just better not come out then. Did you see any like... Did you see any like um did you see any Russian troops or or planes or anything on the way, or was it just did you see the Ukrainian army go in the opposite direction like what was what did you see? yeah, it was Ukrainian army, so there were the those the people we saw those those were our guys. Fortunately, I did yeah. not encounter any Russian troops. There were a few explosions uh in Kiev the, this morning just as we were leaving this area so it got pretty scary, but, you know, we, we got out safe and without any dangerous encounters with the troops. Yeah. So what's it like in Lviv right now? You said that, um, you know, you can't find an apartment. How, where are you staying? Um, what's it, um, what's the kind of atmosphere like over there? Oh, um, it, it's actually kind of heavy, you know, the whole atmosphere, because uh, a lot of people are obviously having a very bad PTSD and they are kind right. of shocked but what they had to live through and um, f- naturally it makes them angry uh, because you know I'm also angry at this whole situation um, right. I could be living a peaceful normal life right now and then there are locals who are also angry because you know all those people coming to our city and taking our apartments and this whole rhetoric so mm. it's kind of tense and uh, not very pleasant like uh people a lot of people from Lviv or you know um they see on the streets and you kind of you know if they suspect that you're a, a refugee you know you're, you're not going to be treated as, as as well as the native citizen here and yeah it's very difficult to find apartments a lot of landlords are spiking at the prices so they're very unreasonable and um very little apartments left so a lot of refugees can't really afford them uh, yeah. if there are some. And so where are people staying then? Uh, there are shelters organized uh, in like schools. And uh, in. I know that my company that I work in arranged some refugee shelter in one of our offices. And those people who, like there are a lot of people in trade station uh the the railway station a lot of them they're like uh i was there not too long ago i was uh, signing up for volunteering did not do it yet but um so uh you know people just sleeping on their bags and uh just kind of kind of living there for for a couple of weeks especially you know they're they're are you going to stay in Lviv or um, try to go somewhere else? I think I'm going to stay. I don't really have any desire to leave the country. I'm still hoping it's going to be over soon and I'm going to go home soon. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, ho- hopefully. Um, I guess, I mean, 
we should wrap up soon, but like, I, I just want to ask, like, have you heard from, um, do you have any friends who stayed back East, um, in, in Kiev or, or whatever other, other cities around and, and what have you heard from them? Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of friends. Uh, I don't know. I, I think they're at this point more calm about this whole situation than I am. Like mm. I am hearing about an airstrike and I'm writing them like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you fine? And they're like, yeah. yeah, I'm just uh, making tea, you know, reading a book, going to the shelter. Yeah, all is well, all is well. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, amazing. All right, yeah, uh, thanks for sharing this with us. I uh, I really sure. appreciate it. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to say that you didn't get to say, uh, but um, but um, yeah, let me know, and and I, I know we're all, uh, uh, you know, uh, thinking about all you guys here here in the U.S. Yeah, thanks. It it means a lot to have the support. Like actually, it actually feels like the whole world will support me. So that's good. That's reassuring. Yeah. 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 Thank you for taking the time. And uh, yeah, have a nice day. All right. So you're going to hear a lot of stories like this on you know what it's like going on. I could almost imagine you know going through that drive that takes so many hours, uh, full of traffic, and then seeing the army. Uh, you know, come, uh, come back on the, on the other way. That, that almost sounds surreal. Um, the next clip comes from uh, Luda Vigilio. Um, and so uh, she is in Connecticut. So my hometown of Connecticut, and I was actually um, referred to her by someone uh, from Connecticut, so from, from Facebook. Um, let's read what she had to say. My full name is Leodmilia Vigilio. I am so sorry. <laughs> I am originally from Ukraine, born and raised. I moved to the USA in 2010, now married and lived here permanently, live here permanently. My whole family is in Ukraine, uh, in the northeast of it. My city, Sumy, was one of the first cities attacked by Russia on February 24th and is still a hot spot. Sumy region is destroyed. Russians announced fake green corridors, but once people start leaving, Russians shoot them, shoot their cars, they kick people out of their private house to the streets and invade their homes. I know someone who this happened to. My mother and 90-year-old grandmother who survived World War II and, um, uh, and, and famine have to hide from airstrikes and uh, stay in the bomb shelters. Uh, finally today, Sumi received first delivery of humanitarian aid. This makes me hopeful. On my end here in the USA, I started collecting money donations for my city. We shipped boxes of necessary medical help last week as humanitarian help. I actively spread information from reliable sources on social media and participated in meetings of Ukrainians in our towns. I spoke on TV, News 12 Connecticut, showed my story yesterday. All this helps me feel somewhat useful but also raises spirits of my friends and family back in Ukraine as they see uh, they are not alone, but supported by us. Okay. Uh, next, I'm going to play some audio from Kostya, who was um, part of the data science summer program. I'm not sure if he was actually in my class, but I got a chance to speak to him while I was there on his, uh, on his data science project and, and about his job. Um, and, uh, I think we also met up in, uh, in Kiev afterwards. So, all right, I'm going to play, um, some audio from Kostya. It's about five minutes, uh, and you're going to, you're going to hear what life was like for him, um, when this war started. Hello, Max. Uh, look, 
my story is that I woke up at uh, five in the morning. My friend called me and uh, he said that the war began. It was around like eight days ago and uh, we were half prepared. We had food tank uh, in the car and we had some medical medical kits. So immediately we started to drive to the European Union border. And it was like uh, 12, 14 hour drive. And then we stayed in the line there uh, with the hope that we can cross the border. But then we understood that uh, first, it, it doesn't make sense. And second, it would take us like three days to to stay and to, I don't know, for what, uh, basically. So it's like, it was super like weird feeling. So we came back to the Chernivtsi, which is near like 30 kilometers uh, from the NATO border. Uh, yeah, so it's like... And my family is on the east. They are currently on evacuation train. My my sister and my mother, because father cannot take an evacuation train, he's he's he will stay in the east. Uh, they are currently on this train to to Lviv uh, to be evacuated to the Poland because my company helps with that. And yeah, um, regarding like all of the working activities has stopped for me because like currently we are doing like some data analysis, some developments in terms of spamming Russians uh, to help them understand that this is like fucking propaganda. Uh, they, they are blind. And uh, yeah, we are trying to do our best on this front. And uh, yeah, I don't know what if I should hope for, for that, because my relatives from Russia, they, when we were calling them, they don't understand, and they say that you have, like, Nazis uh, in your government, and we will help you, but we don't want, we don't need help, like, basically, we, we speak the same language as, as them, and uh, it's, like, super, super weird feeling when your relatives they don't they get television and don't they don't understand you they all of they understand that it's like uh, television propaganda and it's like it's heartbreaking uh yeah so what i wanted you to understand that it's like real war uh i don't know like the regular people are bombed and uh, not only the military ones the fucking Russians there, they don't understand why, why they're here and uh, who, uh, because like, yeah, there is no information, like they, they don't understand why, why they're doing that. And uh, yeah, so uh, you can help by voting for uh, NATO to close, uh, to close the sky because uh, currently it's the only front that we are uh, we are bad at. We don't have enough planes and all of that on the ground. Our military does the great job. And uh, yeah, so 
hope for the best and uh, please if you can help uh, anyhow like donation uh, to the hospitals whatever i don't know like any help voting and uh, being like vocal or i don't know help spreading the information thank you Okay, next we're going to go to Zhitomir, which is a city to the west of Kiev, uh, about uh, an hour west of Kiev. I wasn't actually in Zhitomir, but um, I kind of went, um, I went toward that direction to uh, an area called um, Koresteshiv and uh, Radamashal. Again, very sorry about the names. But uh, anyway, I got in touch with um, this guy in Jitomir to ask about questions because I was doing kind of a genealogical trip. So this was a rabbi in Jitomir uh, named uh, Shlomo Wilhelm. And um, first of all, they run a Jewish orphanage from there uh, in Jitomir, northern Ukraine. And um, all of the children have been evacuated on buses to the Carpathian Mountains, which I... Uh, believe is in Romania. And I'm sure there are tons of stories about, you know, uh, people throughout Ukraine going to all of these kind of far-flung places. Maybe geographically, they're next to uh, Ukraine, like Poland or, or Romania, but, you know, you could be kind of stuck in small towns or small areas in the middle of the mountains. And if you're running an orphanage, that's a lot of responsibility and also like you know, for the kids, it's a lot of it's a crazy thing to happen to you. Uh, you know, if you're living in this situation, and then all of a sudden you have to leave under those circumstances. Shlomo wrote on his Facebook page, I'm going to read a part of it about um, uh, something that um, uh, a story that's going around a fake story that's obviously uh, disturbing him and it disturbs me as well. So um, what he writes is this, Yesterday, on one media dump, which mistakenly considers itself to be a serious information resource, an article was published stating that the Jews of Zhitomir, a city in Ukraine, were forced to evacuate from the city due to pogroms and persecution by local nationalists, but not from the war. This fake was picked up by other sites, resulting in a flurry of calls to me. The callers asked with horror what was happening in Zhitomir. I will answer... Everyone, all Ukrainian Nazism, anti-Semitism, and persecution of Jews exists only in the sick imagination of the authors of this rubbish, false information. Why are these, quote, articles being written? This is more than obvious. There's a war going on in Ukraine. Russia attacked under an absolutely fictitious pretext of getting rid of imaginary Nazis and in war, as you know, all means are good. Any false news that can cause or intensify conflict new moods within Ukraine plays into the hands of Russia. So I thought that was um, interesting. And, you know, I heard those reports, too. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people here who, you know, don't want to believe, you know, what's going on or they, 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 they well, on, on the... Um, on the legitimate side, there's kind of you want to see what what Russia's point of view is, but you sort of don't want to face the facts. Uh, some people don't want to face the facts that uh, a lot of what Russia is saying about Ukraine is fake, and um, uh, you know, especially the idea of Ukraine being a Nazi state. And these guys, like the 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 rabbis in uh, 
in Ukraine, they'd let us know. Trust me, they'd let us know uh, if that was the problem. Uh, I'm aware of the um, I'm aware of the purported evidence that uh, is going around social media about Ukraine being a, a fascist state or a Nazi state, and it's really it's um, it's you know as good propaganda is it's uh, it's it's way overblown isn't even a, a, an appropriate word for it. It's, it's, it's just um, blown all out of proportion. Um, so, okay, I thought that was an important one to go over. Uh, next, I want to hear from Nastia. Her full name is Anastasia, which uh, I actually really like that, how the, that name sounds, Anastasia. So uh, Nastia was um, also part of the data science summer program. Uh, I think that she was one of the, um, and I hope I, I hope I get this wrong, but she was one of the like kind of volunteer helpers. Um, I actually assume she was in college at the time, but now she said in this audio clip that she's 19. So she would have been what 17, 16 at the time. Maybe they had high school helpers as, as well. Um, okay. So she is currently outside Ukraine in Berlin. Uh, although we see the same stories over and over again, people getting woken up at, at five in the morning. So um, we're going to hear what she hears from what's going on back home. Hey, I'm Nastya. I'm 19 and currently in Berlin. Uh, in the past, I've been moving around a bit, quite a bit because of my university. But this semester in Berlin, it was very different for many reasons. Um, because of political tensions, um, we were going to a lot of protests. It almost became like a weekend tradition to go to Brandenburg tour and demand actions from the US and from Europe. But I think everything changed on the 24th of February. Um, that night we went to bed, but then wake up at five o'clock in the morning from the knock of my classmate on the door. And I still remember him shouting, like, they're bombing Ukraine, call your parents, make sure they're okay. So we start. my roommate and I are Ukrainian, and we started texting our parents. Thank God, mine were okay, they live closer to the West. But my roommate, she started crying because she called her mom, and her mom was in the basement hiding with her brother and uh, grandmother because their city was being bombed. That night they bombed basically a lot of places with important military infrastructure. And it was it was just tough. The day, like, of course, we didn't go to bed. We skipped the next class and went to the protest. I guess one of the hardest thing when you're living abroad and you see all of this happening to your country is that you still need to keep going. Like, I still have classes I need to visit. I still have some coding assignments I need to do. And it all feels so irrelevant and not important at the moment, but you still need to keep going. But yeah, it kind of our lives and our priorities right now changed. We are trying to do our best to support our families and friends and going to the protests and again demanding action from Europe and from US and showing that hey we've told you that this is what's gonna happen but he didn't listen to us at least now please listen we are trying to help the people refugees who are coming currently to Berlin uh, we are helping with humanitarian aid and like just some military supplies that are being collected here and sent uh, to Ukraine and in general 
I guess it's been very different for all of us. Like, I feel like I feel less of the impact because my family is relatively safe. They're closer to the border. But many of my friends, they have their, like, moms and dads just going to the army and now they're collecting funds to at least make sure they have bulletproof uh, vests and helmets for them. As for my family... I guess I'm just worried because they live close to an important military object and my house doesn't have a proper functioning basement. So when my family is at the apartment building, all they can do is go to the hallway. And looking at the photos from Kharkiv, for example, I'm not quite sure how safe is that. And in case, God forbid, something happens, I'm not quite sure how safe that would be. So every day we just wake up, read the news and... Even though we hate reading the news, but we still read the news because we are looking at uh, trying to see whether our cities were bombed or not and whether we are safe. So I guess that's just like a little summary of how my life personally has been so far. And yeah, I guess if there is any way you guys would be willing to help, the best way would be to reach out to your officials and demand them to force NATO and the world to close the sky about, above Ukraine because I do understand that no, no one warns World War II but the only way we can stop it is that with the war that is already going on so if you could reach out or make donations that would be very appreciated. Thank you for listening to my story. Okay, finally, I'm going to read uh, this submission from Genia, which starts with that that letter that uh, which is the ZH, which I really, uh, <laughs> I really, uh, I wish I, I it's embarrassing because I don't know the uh, Cyrillic alphabet, so I have to ask. But um, let's see, uh, let's l- let me read this, and, um, and 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 this is our our last submission, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up from here. This is from Genia. I was in Kiev when the invasion started. Uh, I woke up at 5 a.m. from the sound of rockets hitting my city, immediately texted my friend whose fiancé serves in the military and who lives near some military infrastructure to come to my place because she was at risk. That same day, we tried to get to the train station but couldn't because the metro was stopped and air raid alerts started going in. The avenue leading out of the city was completely blocked and people were walking along with children and backpacks, quite a desperate sight. We managed to get out Kiev the next day by walking to the train station and trying our luck with a couple of trains in the western direction. Couldn't get into any of them, so we took a suburban train, then another train to Vinitizi, uh excuse me, folks, V-Y-N-N-Y, Venezia. I'll try Venezia. I'll go with that. Stayed the night at some kind people's place who didn't know us, but uh, helped because that's what everyone would do. Next day, we got on the train to Lviv, which thankfully wasn't crowded, so we can sit for the first time. I arrived in Lviv and not to my hometown of Varash in um, Rivna, um, Rivna region, which I believe is also in the West, uh, mostly because I wanted to help someone else volunteer uh, 
and, and volunteer whenever I could. There are all sorts of amazing initiatives from gathering humanitarian aid to housing refugees to equipping the newly made soldiers. My hometown is a satellite of a nuclear power plant, and they observed with grief how Chernobyl Zone and Zephyrd it's CIA NPP were captured. Uh, those were nuclear power plants. Uh, there is this sort of determination in everyone I talk to that we should fight till the end. So do my parents who help fortify the town and gather all necessary stuff for the military. It still was heartbreaking to hear from them this sort of just-in-case advice about how I should take care of my siblings and cousins. I stay in Lviv mostly to help within my company, which I used to do data science stuff for. It's a retail giant, and the load increased, so they all accepted all office personnel and warehouses and stores. These days uh, have been the worst to many Ukrainians, both here and abroad, and support that we found within society and internationally keeps us going. We forgot all quarrels and everyone working toward the same goal to the extent it's hard to find a place to volunteer as there are too many candidates. So, yeah, once again, someone from the uh, someone from the data si- someone who does data science from the data science community, uh, and uh, you know there are a lot of them out there, which I think is um, you know is no uh, uh, is no shock. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, you know engineers and, uh, and and scientists from that part of the world. Uh, so. Okay, so so those are just some stories from Ukraine, uh, just so we can get a little bit of sense of what's going on there and what the people there are are thinking. At least the people in in my circles. Um, obviously, this is not the whole story, so you, you know, don't beat me up on that. And um, these are personal stories. These this is not you know a whole geopolitical analysis, which I'm not equipped to give. But I hope this gives you a sense of what's going on that you just can't get from. Uh, I think talking heads here in the United States, um, and I used to—I don't use talking heads in, the, in a pejorative sense. Maybe just say like, okay, commentators here in the United States or people um, talking here in the United States who don't really know a lot about the country. So um, I thought that was helpful. I thought it was good to hear. Once again, maybe not the easiest one to uh, to to uh, uh, to uh, to listen to. Uh, although I thought I thought it was fascinating, and I almost. Hearing some of these stories, I can almost feel what it's like uh, being there. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, it's um, it's um, it's it's just uh, it, it's just uh, it's pretty unbelievable what's going on. So next be- week, we'll uh, we'll try to get back to some sense of normalcy. I'll try to get back to machine learning, and I'm going to talk about this paper that I wrote and I have published, and I'll have it published on my website by then, and hopefully it will be out uh, by, um, it, it will be out from, uh, from, from archive by then on bias correction in supervised machine learning. I've been working on this paper for a long time. It cites a patent uh, of which I'm um, the, like, one of the, the, the primary um, inventor and one of the five inventors uh, on, at, at Foursquare. Uh, on our attribution pro- uh, project. But I think the, the point that I'm making in the paper is how to do bias correction if you have a bias data set, which is um, uh, broadly applicable to so many areas of um, of machine learning, data science, Bayesian inference, that uh, I think I think this is an important paper. I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out. It was just a lot harder to get there than I thought. And so Aaron interviewed me on that. So I will play that w- next week. Um, so... 
Uh, I will look forward to that. I look forward to getting that out. We'll get some videos out on that. And with that, I think we're going to wrap up. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.